Why Watch That is a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. Why watch that talk? It is the month of February. Yes. Oh. Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it's Black History Month. And hey. I've been seeing on social media, Black History Month is not the time we celebrate Black history. It's the time that we celebrate our anniversary. You know what I'm saying? Like... It's, we celebrate black history all year long. Cause you know what? When I look in the mirror, I celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> but we at Why Watch That thought, you know what? Why not for you listeners, black, white, whatever color you may be, whatever gender you may be, here are some of our recommendations. This is not an exhaustive list by any means. It is not a list even ranking. It is just simply, here are just some recommendations we have from us to you. Happy Black History Month. Lift every voice. (laughs) Hey, hey. (laughs) Yes, I don't know all the words to that song. (laughs) You know that when I was a kid, I had to sing all those verses. All the verses? (laughs) Yes, it was like going into the third verse. Anyway. extra footage that we might add on why watch that <laughs> with the stony the road we tried that verse <laughs> listen listen okay so here we go mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about for this episode we call it for the culture why watch that's recommendation for black history month part one Ooh. and in part one we're gonna talk about film Ooh. Ooh. uh if you dip back into why watch that 1.0 mm. If you can find those episodes, we <laughs> talk a lot about some of our favorite black movies, our favorite black TV shows, our favorite black actors, actresses, newcomers, all of it. But for this round, we are definitely going to focus on what in recent years we've been seeing. So the first category we will talk about is the Oscar win. <laughs> we don't have many. Matter of fact, we got very few mm-hmm. <laughs> Oscar wins and nominations, but we wanted to highlight the movie that almost got snubbed and snatched by La La Land. Oh, <laughs> boy. Course, we're talking about Moonlight by Barry Jenkins. Oh, oh. Whoa. Do you remember the first time you saw that? I do. It was at the New York Film Festival. Who was with you? You. Hey. Gasping at the end. <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And, I mean, look, what a wonderful film. Film. Yeah. yeah. And this is where Barry Jenkins said, hey, you may not have seen uh, <laughs> Medicine for Melancholy, mm-hmm. but you will know <laughs> that I understand how to direct and write a picture. That's and right. you know what? I can do it. We can do this filming in, like, what, under two weeks or whatever they had? It was like, seriously, a a shot in the dark when it comes to filming this particular film. We've got some of the most amazing performances, I believe, in 2016. And and it's etched in our memories. Mahershala Ali, of course, being, uh, taking it home. The Oscar home for his supporting, uh, for supporting actor. Naomi, uh... Uh, Harris. Harris. I was going to say Watts. I was like, that is so not her. (laughs) Naomi Harris got an Oscar nomination for this role. And her shoot was only like five days or something like that. She was only on set for five days and played an amazing part. We've got standout breakout performances by your boy Ashton. Mm-hmm. Who we didn't know who he was. We sure do now. Yeah. Of course, and we also have uh, Janae Monet coming in as uh, uh, Mahershala Ali's uh, girlfriend. All of this wrapped up in the fact that 
we have a, an unusual story yeah. of a young man growing up in a very urban uh, society, but happens to be, you know, gay. And who yeah. writes about that? Who talks about that? Mm. Barry Jenkins does. So that's hats right. off to you. We recommend for you guys to check out that Oscar win. Yeah. What else do we have? Well, moving on. That was Oscar win. Now we have the Art House Indies. Ew. Black <laughs> people make Art House movies? Yes, they do. Especially if his name is Barry Jenkins. Because we coming back at you. With If Beale Street Could Talk. From last year, it is up for Oscar nominations at the moment. Yes. And once again, Barry is saying, hey, again. Yeah. I am an artist. Artiste. <laughs> yes. So I'm an auteur. That's what he's saying here. Now, do, do I have the same feeling of Moonlight from If Beale Street Could Talk? No. But I have the highest, the utmost respect for everybody here. You know I love Regina King. Yeah, Hello. You do. So you had me at Regina King. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, you know, sorry Baldwin and everybody else. Well, speaking of being sorry, sorry to bother you, which mm. was last year's Sundance indie favorite and to, and got a lot of traction throughout the last year. It, it, this is something that you saw at Sundance. You were absolutely like, this absolutely belongs at Sundance. Like it totally makes sense that yes. this is at Sundance. And uh, Boots Riley, who is a Sundance favorite and darling there, has come out with one of the strangest movies. <laughs> it is so beautifully strange. Yes, that's it. Uh, I with mean, a look. beautifully strange cast. <laughs> and Lakeith Stanfield is always strange and wonderful. Mm -hmm. You're always thinking, what is he thinking? What is he doing? And know. you know, you just have to watch him. You have Tessa Thompson in here, among others. I mean, you know, Danny Glover teaching him how to, you know, get his white voice on. <laughs> <laughs> so look, it is Boots Riley, folks, his directorial debut, and he came out just swinging. Yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Boots. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. So your favorite category, the horror film. Oh gosh, oh Lord, oh my God. Uh, and here, of course, everyone, what do you think this is? What do you think it is? Get out, get out. There you are, and she means the, the actual <laughs> title, not literally get out. So get out, look, we all know about the sunken place. This is now firmly entrenched in culture. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's it's completely there, and also yeah. did get some Oscar love. Yes, it did. And you know what? Yeah. And a win, right? It, it a win. It it. This is a kind of movie that is surprising, um, because it works on so many different levels. That's yeah. the thing about it. It works as a horror movie. It works even as a almost satire. It works as whatever else you want to call it. But it also, everybody, we all know says something about society and culture. Yeah. And that's what Jordan Peele brought to us. And we are all looking forward to us. Yes, we are. And some great uh -oh. breakout performances from Daniel Kaluuya. He, uh, Lil Rail, Lakeith is joining. <laughs> <laughs> Betty Grable, who just, I was like, who is this woman? Why is she smiling and crying? She uh, freaked out. Yes. I remember sitting in the theater going, this is not the movie that I thought. It was. So yeah, we left enlightened. Let's go to now the history lesson category. Hmm. This is where you're gonna get some of the history of our culture, some major, this is the black history movie. Um, <laughs> we're gonna start with Selma, of course, by Ava DuVernay. This was uh, about Martin Luther King, as you know, the March of Selma. Yeah, just name a black person and they are in this film, including <laughs> Oprah. Getting yes. Oprah slapping people, getting slapped. I don't know what she's doing. Mm. But um, we, of course, have David Oyelowo playing Martin Luther King um, and everybody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we are introduced to Stefan James, mm. who we didn't quite know who he was uh, in Selma, but we're, we're introduced to him. And of course, he takes off, his career took off from there. This is actually, I remember seeing this. We all saw this together. I remember you got um, 
you you and the producer were able to get a sneak peek of this mm -hmm. uh, of Selma before it came out. This is Ava DuVernay's uh, directorial debut as far as a major feature film goes. Um, and quite frankly, if you just need that fix of a lesson, pop that sucker in, you will know what went down. But that's not all we have. No, it's not. Um, we also have Hidden Figures. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I when, do. When Taraji had to stand up and tell them people what they need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, what was so wonderful about this is, who knew this story? Like, many people didn't know this story. And it really puts a spotlight on how, you know, you've got to really look beyond the stereotypes here, folks. Okay? So this is about, uh, you know, a group of black women who were a part of NASA. Yeah. If you haven't seen it already, come on. And I mean, just the, the costumes, the color, along with the history of it. I, you know, and what was great about this as well, Ref, is it was, it did really well at the box office. Yeah, it did. I mean, it did really well. And, and this is the kind of movie that it's important to see, but it's also entertaining. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And um, we also have to throw in a couple of others yes. very quickly. This is not The Birth of a Nation <laughs> by Nate, Nate Parker. You probably won't be seeing this in the scholastic diaspora. It's, it's probably not going to be shown in schools. Right. Just because of the controversy behind the scenes. And plus, it's a tough watch, especially if you are not of the African-American persuasion. Mm -hmm. Well, the other persuasion, oh. it, you might, you know, you might have to figure that one out. Yeah, so. this isn't something that, you know, you really sit back and enjoy. No, <laughs> no, you... you your mouth is open. <laughs> yeah, you're leaning forward. Um, and look, you know, I was a fan of this film, and I still am a fan of The yeah. Birth of a Nation. And again, yeah. that's Nate Parker's, not that other one. That other one. And he plays Nate Turner, or Nat Turner, mm -hmm. who uh, turns some people's heads as he is getting his free, or takes off some people's heads. I don't know what he's doing, but yeah. uh, I would not mess with that person. <laughs> and then, of course, we'll end it with 12 Years a Slave, um, we, of course, remember that's, that's uh, a movie that was produced by Plan B. It got a lot of love at the Oscars. So there's yes. another one that had a win. Uh, it stars a very solid cast. It is uh, Chewetel. You, you say the name. I love when you say it. Yes, Chewetel Geofor. Are you kidding? <laughs> the nightmare of this movie. Your free black man who gets kidnapped and thrown into slavery for 12 years? I mean, come on. And then you meet Lupita Nyong'o who said to all of us, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> here I am, and this is what you learn in acting school. Sit down. <laughs> so we definitely recommend those. Let's move on to the good sport Ooh. category. Yes, the good sport. Came up and with these names. Who did that? Who did it? We're gonna start out with the major commercial success Creed mm. came out um, at Thanksgiving one year and everybody was like, well, Ryan Coogler, Ryan Coogler, who is that? Who is that? Oh yeah, that's the guy who did, he did this? Yes, he did. Mm. And uh, revitalized the Rocky franchise. Michael B. Jordan is starring as Adonis Creed. Uh, they even have a sequel out, but we have to highlight Creed, the first one. Um, just because if you want to get your sport movie on in recent history for Black History Month, hmm. you better check out Adonis and his mother, Alicia Rashad. Uh-oh. <laughs> you better believe it. And look, this is where, this is the kind of thing that Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, their collaborations, this is the stuff I've really liked from them when they have a nice groundedness and grit to what they're doing. And don't forget, don't forget, Fruitvale Station. Uh -oh. oh, no. We can't forget that. That's another um, art house indie. Yeah. But now, what else do we have? Well, we have a little sneaky one in this category. Yeah. Queen of Cockway? Y'all don't even know what that is. That's a shame. We're going to mm. Schools. <laughs> Says right here. <laughs> Schools. So, yes. <laughs> 
this, everybody, let me tell you something. It stars David Oyelowo. Yes, it does. It stars Lupita. Yes, it does. And a wonderful uh, African cast. And it really tells the story of uh, a girl, a Ugandan girl. Uh, she learns to play chess along with her friends. And guess what happens at the end? Can you guess? It is a Disney movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen this... It's beautiful. It just... Uh, yeah. This is the kind of family movie that adults will enjoy watching. Yeah. Along with their kids. It is... It's heartfelt and entertaining and funny and sad. All of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. All together in one movie. We saw it together in the theaters, ref. And we really enjoyed it. But, but remember, everybody, it says... <laughs> You'll get it when you see it. <laughs> Moving on to from stage to screen. Now, this category is uh, movies that really started off as plays or musicals. And we have to highlight the movie Fences. Now, whenever you get August Wilson and Viola Davis together, just get ready. Uh-oh. <laughs> she did... Took, she took home the Oscar for this, mm-hmm. I believe. And um, Denzel Washington was nominated. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this, for someone who's seen Fences on stage, who read Fences, who studied Fences, this was a um, Denzel Washington, uh, uh, he directed it and he starred in it. But really, it's the cast that takes it away uh, I mean, Viola Davis as that character, she did play that character on, on Broadway. Uh, just watch out because that poor character has to endure real hardship from her husband. <laughs> and who better to do that than Viola Davis? You will be very pleased at her performance. But you do have to sit through it because it is August Wilson. And there's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. But if that's your thing, you're really going to enjoy Fences. And you know, I love August Wilson. Um, and, and this, I mean, this is a, a, a wonderful job that they did here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Fences, we salute you. And now, from stage to screen to the commercial hits. Yes, we have to throw those in there. Mm-hmm. So the first on this list is Girls Trip. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't seen this in full. Yep, that's okay. Oh. Hey, don't judge me or not. I haven't seen it in full. <laughs> but I have seen parts of it, and it is on my list to finish. And this is by Malcolm D. Lee. Yes, Spike Lee's cousin, I believe that is. And it stars a quartet of women that will tell us all to sit down. <laughs> Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, Tiffany Haddish, and Jada Pinkett Smith. Now, the title tells you what's going on. They go down to New Orleans and have a good time. And of course, they got to hash some stuff out. (laughs) And of course, this is a comedy. Yeah. So if you want that, look, if you've seen it before and you loved it, watch it again. Yeah, it's its answer to all the Bridesmaid, Mm -hmm. all those kind of movies like that. It was a huge, huge hit. Um, yes. That no one thought it would be. No, they uh, didn't. We, our community, yes, but you know, others were just kind of baffled. How did this work? Well, another huge hit, and I'm talking not only financially, but um, critic acclaim, as well as um, it, it too has been ingrained in our culture. We're talking about none other than Black Panther. Come on, folks. Of course. Why is this on the list? What? You know why? It is the biggest. <laughs> I will. It is the biggest commercial hit of all time, as far as an African American movie goes. As far as an African American uh, action thriller movie, I mean, it just tops the list. Mm-hmm. And again, we're we're visited by uh, Ryan Coogler and Michael B. Combo. That's a two punch combo. You better watch out for that. Black Panther currently as a taping. They're showing free screenings of it at this point. Mm-hmm. It is up for an Oscar. I mean, just on and on the accolades keep coming i definitely think that at some point if you haven't seen it and if you if you're not african-american and you do want to celebrate black history month or even just get a glimpse i think black panther will certainly have to be on your list yeah watch it that's right it's on netflix too so you really have no excuse there you go oh take us out 
Well, what a wonderful list of films that are full of culture. Yay! For Black History Month, everybody, there is something on this list for everyone. Maybe more than one something. And, I mean, we went out with the biggest one of all. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Keep, uh, also, look at our social media. We've got, of course, more things happening there. But don't worry. This is only part one, right, Critic? Yeah, because part two is TV. Is that what it is? Oh, that's what I heard. <laughs> So why watch that TV talk? Well, listeners, we're finally back in our respective places. Uh, We had an amazing week at Sundance, but guess what? It's time for TV again. (laughs) More of it. Some we like, some we don't. Here we go. Starting with some series premieres, we've got from Netflix called The Russian... No, not The Russian. It's called Russian Doll. It's available now for you to just eat up and binge. Question <laughs> is, will you do that? Hmm. Well, it seems that a lot of critics will. <laughs> now, here's the thing. So we have Orange is the New Black's Natasha Leone, who co-created this series with Leslie Hedlund and Amy Poehler. Yeah. Now, uh, Natasha stars as Nadia, a software engineer who lives in New York City and is celebrating her 36th birthday at a party thrown by her friend, Maxine. So she's in her friend's uh, bathroom, which is all kinds of weird, and she's feeling kind of off. Then she comes out of the bathroom and encounters Maxine along with their mutual friend, Lizzie. And by the way, Nadia's been smoking some sort of cigarette laced with cocaine, or so she thinks, that Maxine gave her. Afterward, Nadia meets Mike, a literature professor, and she wants to sleep with him. Then after inviting Mike back to her apartment, she decides to get some work done. Uh, She codes video games. But all night long, she's been preoccupied with finding her cat named Oatmeal, who recently ran away. So when she's out and about, she notices Oatmeal on the other side of the street. But when she goes to run after Oatmeal, she's hit by a car and dies. Huh. However, instead of staying dead, she awakens back where she started in Maxine's bathroom at her birthday party. Oh, boy. And then she proceeds to relive the same night, but she makes different decisions, which alters the outcome. For instance, the second time uh, she lives through her party, she happens upon her ex, John. She also happens upon Ruth, who's some sort of psychologist and is a family friend. But regardless of whom she encounters and when, the ending is the same. She ends up dead, only to reappear in that bathroom. So this is like some sort of twisted Groundhog Day. And as a result, Nadia wants to get to the bottom of what's happening to her. Is it the drugs? Is she losing her mind like her mother did? Or is it something else? Also, is she the only one experiencing this? And if not, how does everything connect to make any sense whatsoever? All right. So look, this is the kind of show that you watch without even knowing what you're watching. From the beginning, you'll be thinking, why am I even seeing this? What's the significance of that? Then as you continue to watch, it makes a little more sense every time the timeline repeats. So if that kind of craziness appeals to you, then Russian Doll is right up your alley. However, if you don't have the patience for weirdness and a lack of clarity, stay far away. I don't think it'll take long for viewers to determine whether this is for them or not. And the good thing is that no episode is longer than 30 minutes. Well done. Let's move on to Amazon, the ABC Murders (laughs) miniseries. John Malkovich! Uh Uh-oh. It's definitely going to be weird. Oh my goodness. Now, this is based on Agatha Christie's novel of the same name. Uh, So the ABC Murders features an older Detective Hercule Poirot. It's 1933, and the Belgian detective has been in England for 19 years. However, he's still seen as an outsider during a time in which outsiders, or aliens, as they're called, are not welcome. Sound familiar? Now, Hercule is played by, yes, John Malkovich, 
goes through the trouble of dyeing his goatee to appear younger. But do you think that works? Also, he's been receiving letters from someone named ABC who tells Poirot that he's almost ready. But ready for what? Well, for murder, of course. Now, Hercule reaches out to the cops about this, but they, like everyone else, it seems, would rather that he disappear. Just what exactly did he do to these people? Also, when he finally forces his way into the presence of Inspector Crone, played by Harry Potter's Rupert Grint, to report uh, ABC's first potential murder, Poirot comes away embarrassed. Crone finds out that no such murder has been reported, and it's April Fool's Day after all, Hercule. However, after that meeting, Poirot decides to take matters into his own hands, of course, which leads him to discovering that ABC is not to be taken lightly. And so you have to ask whether Poirot will have to go it alone in the face of resentment from the cops and the divisive nationalist mood of the country. Also, will he be able to stop this so-called ABC whose identity is revealed to the audience from the beginning of this miniseries before it's too late? And can Poirot be trusted? Now look, the key for any good mystery is the ability to hold its audience's attention from the beginning. There has to be some sort of hook to make the audience invest in what's going on. But for this adaptation of the ABC murders, there's a noticeable lack of urgency. It's a rather dour affair. And so the only way to overcome that is to ratchet up the suspense But despite the choice of music, it was difficult to detect any suspense whatsoever throughout the entire first episode. The sluggishness was real, okay? And therefore, it's difficult for me to recommend this series for most people. I doubt that most people will care. Now, I guess that it might work if you're an Agatha Christie completist, but even those people will likely find it hard to stay on the edges of their seats as this story unfolds, and they certainly won't recognize it as being true to Christie. Also, the effort to connect the sentiments of the 1930s to a resurgence of those very sentiments today doesn't quite land. It just seems forced. Regardless, though, the ABC murders is okay, but that isn't nearly good enough. Well, 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 Johnny, we'll have to catch you next round. <laughs> next season premieres, The Magicians. Ah, uh-uh. back for its fourth season, already renewed for its fifth season. This is on Sci-Fi, folks. Yes, this is probably <laughs> one of Sci-Fi's longest running shows. Yes. They, seems like they finally got the right magic for it to work. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I got to do something while you're talking about all this. All right. So last season, the student magicians, including Quentin, Julia, Alice, Elliot, Penny, Katie, Margot, and Josh, had to contend with the loss of magic. Yeah. And after all kinds of craziness, they succeeded in restoring magic to the world, but not in the way they intended. Plus, their efforts had some nasty unintended consequences. First, uh, the librarians are once again in control of magic. And that means that they control the amount of magic available to Brickbills University, where Dean Fogg, who can now see, spots a new student who reminds him of someone, someone he regrets previously rejecting as a student. Second, back at the library, Alice has been locked up by the library for breaking a deal she made with them. And her neighbor in jail is Santa Claus. Yeah, him. But he's not the Santa Claus you'd expect. Regardless, Alice knows something they don't. You see, by bringing back magic, the group unleashed a malevolent force that wants to play a deadly game with them and that has powers that frighten even the gods. Now, this force or monster has possessed Elliot and forces Quentin to travel with it. And it won't hesitate to kill if it's displeased by anyone or anything. But really, it just wants to have fun until it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Third, as a consequence of last season's quest, none of the main characters who participated in it has magical powers anymore, or so it seems. Also, outside of Alice, they don't even remember that they were magicians. 
They have completely different identities now. And while Dean Fogg, who casted the spell to change their identities, and the library think that this will protect them, it actually leaves them vulnerable to attack. So, will our brave magicians be able to recover their identities and magic to defeat this monster once and for all? Or will they be picked off one by one? Well, while there's a graphic novel that might help them figure things out, the answer will probably be much less straightforward than you'd expect. And here's what I have to say about the magicians. Starting last season, it really found itself. It was inventive and fun and intricate. And thankfully, in the first two episodes of season four, especially the first, that hasn't changed. You really never know what's coming next, and it seems that the writers have ideas to spare. So regardless of some clunky execution every now and then, this show is exactly what it should be. And if you're interested in an angsty yet imaginative magical series with a wicked sense of humor that has enough twists and turns to make your head spin, The Magicians is definitely the show for you. Well, we believe in magic. We also believe in the fact that Suits is also ending. Oh, dear, dear, dear. On USA, this has been six six huge seasons. No, I'm sorry. Eight seasons of Suits. And it's going to... And one more to come, yeah. I was going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got another one coming at you. Another season coming at you. So, of course, if you know anything about uh, Suits and this show, it's one of the critics' long-time labors of love. So do tell us where are we at with this. Well, um, change is afoot. Because the firm at the center of this show is now called Zane, Spectre, Lit, Wheeler, and Williams. Yeah, five named partners. And of course, there's friction. Uh, first, Lewis Litt is now managing partner, following in the footsteps of Harvey Specter and Robert Zane. But Lewis is finding the position challenging, which leads to a fight with Harvey over a potential client. Now, these two are no strangers to bickering. So how do you think that turns out? Just ask Lewis's no-nonsense assistant, Gretchen, if you're unsure. Second, Harvey and Robert exchanged some words as well when they teamed up to avenge the mistreatment of former named partner and managing partner, Jessica Pearson. And while they triumphed in the end, they may have made an enemy of someone who's no joke. Okay, third, former assistant to Harvey and current COO, Donna Paulson, is finally taking care of herself in the form of dating a client. (laughs) So is this going to be love for Donna or will there be some sort of monkey wrench? Fourth, Donna's had to help newly minted senior partner, Katrina Bennett, navigate a budding attraction to the junior associate who's under her purview. Uh Oh, now this associate has a wife and infant at home. So things aren't looking good. And that's not the only thing Donna helped Katrina with because Katrina was caught in between the two newest named partners at the firm, Samantha Wheeler and Alex Williams. But in the end, Katrina found a way to out of that uh, conflict, or so she thinks. Fifth, speaking of Samantha and Alex, Alex introduced Samantha to his wife, which ended up with his wife and Samantha teaming up on a case. But just what was the outcome? Did Alex's wife and Samantha get along or not? Hmm. And sixth, as always, there's an outside threat that's coming for the entire firm. I mean, this is Suits after all. And now let's talk about the quality of the return of Suits for the final six episodes of its second to last season. As the ref said, look, the first episode back since mid-September was lacking the luster. It seemed like just another mid-season episode instead of like an episode that was worthy of welcoming us back to the season after such a long hiatus. It just wasn't sharp enough. Then in the next episode, things started to have a bit more heat, which is what this show must have to match his overcooked, ridiculous dialogue. Come on. Okay? Now, the good news is, again, the next season is going to be the final one, so it won't overstay its welcome as a show. 
Because without the threat of former main character Mike being outed as a fraud, it is time for this show to wrap things up and make way for its spinoff named Pearson, which features former main character, yes, you know, Jessica Pearson, who's played by Gina Torres. The writing's on the wall, and thankfully, they know it. Well, we're going to go to some season finales. Whoa. I think that everybody and their mom knows that the new love, the luster of the period pieces, TV shows at least, Outlander, is hanging its corset for this season. (laughs) But it'll be back for another two seasons on Stars. Yes, we love time traveling with this lady. I mean, she's got lovers all over the time zones and time places, kids everywhere. I mean, I just can't keep up. But the critic has kept up with Outlander on Stars. Yeah, and in this fourth season, much of the focus has been on Claire's and Jamie's college-age daughter, Brianna, who travels back in time to warn them of their impending deaths. Now, she's not the only one who makes that kind of trip because her beau, Roger, follows her through the stones after he finds out what she did. Then when they finally meet in the past, they eventually have an argument that splits them apart, and that leads to all kinds of terrible things, of course. First, Brie is violated by the very man who violated her mother and father earlier in the season, but she's violated in a wholly different and awful way. Now, this vile man also has some dealings with Roger, who at first has no idea of the kind of man he's dealing with. Second, when Roger finally finds his way back to Bree after their argument and to her parents at their home in North Carolina, Bree's servant Lizzie mistakes him for the man who violated Bree and alerts Bree's cousin Ian to Roger's presence, who then alerts Jamie, which results in Jamie selling Roger to the Mohawk. Then, <laughs> Bree finds out about this, right, Ref? Blames Jamie, of course, and has a falling out with him. Then, as a result, to mend fences, Jamie promises to track down Roger and bring him back. And he's joined by Claire and Ian, while Bree is sent with Lizzie to Jamie's aunt Jacosta, who's played by, by the way, Maria Doyle Kennedy. Uh, She played Mr. Bates' first wife on Downton Abbey. That woman. (laughs) Okay? She just can't get out of a corset. (laughs) Third, while with Jacosta, okay, for reasons I won't give away, Bree decides to get engaged to Lord John, who, by the way, is still in love with Jamie. Yes, Jamie, and whose predilections she knows all about, which is why she proposes to him. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, there are other storylines, which I won't get into here, that enrich the main plot, and there are all sorts of twists and turns along the way, including a potential upcoming confrontation between Jamie and his godfather, Murtaugh. And so in the end, the question is, can all of these characters clarify their misunderstandings, right their wrongs, and move forward peacefully? I think you know the answer, and here we go with the review. Here's the thing about this season of Outlander. The change of setting to the Americas is good, like that. The inclusion of Native American culture is good. And the nuanced way in which it addresses slavery is good. However, there has been too much of a focus on Brianna, which has gotten in the way of what's most interesting about Outlander, Claire's and Jamie's love story and the seemingly insurmountable obstacles they face. I find Brie to be in the way of that. She's just not that interesting. In fact, she's annoying. Now, what happens to her is tragic, and it is an echo of what happened to Jamie in the past. But this isn't her show, and it shouldn't be. The way her character is presented just feels shallow, which is in contrast to the weightiness of her storyline. And so moving forward, the question will be, can Outlander find its balance again? Can it find its way back to Jamie and Claire as its North Star? If it doesn't, then it'll be fine, but it won't be as good as it has been unless they can find a way to present Brie as much more aware and mature. And maybe they will after this season's events because there were glimpses of depth from Brianna in the last episode. Either way, I don't know what happens in the books and I don't care. It's the show that counts. Well, um, I think that we need to move on to a, <laughs> kind of our corsets and into um, 
eyeliner makeup that <laughs> the Vikings is it's you listen we've only got one more season of Vikings left yeah it's on the history channel we already know that they have been talking heavily about a spinoff and listen I've tried to watch couldn't quite take it I did watch one through four that's a lot <laughs> but I did in a very short amount of time I want you off the main character and the main reason why I'm there the question is can these sons really carry the show and History Channel has answered uh, they need a fresh start so after season six hopefully there will be one yeah and uh, you know it has come to this ref the sons of Ragnar whom you just mentioned are still fighting but now it's everyone, well, everyone's still living, that is, versus Ivar the Boneless and his sycophants. You see, Ivar believes that he's a god, but he might be the only one. Well, almost the only one. And at the end of season five, he's had to slink away from his kingdom of Kattegat, which is now ruled by the newly crowned King Bjorn Ironside, who's the oldest son of Ragnar Lagatha. And speaking of Lagatha, after a near-death experience, it looks like she may be back to her old self, except for the white hair. In addition, there are Ragnar's two other sons, Ube and Vitsek. Ube is now attached to Torvi, who's Bjorn's former wife. <laughs> and Vitsek finally decided to fight against Ivar with the help of a strange king. Also, don't forget about King Harold Finehair, who still wants to be king of Kattegat, and who's in love with Bjorn's new wife, Gunhild. Keep in mind that you can't ever trust him, but will he survive the wound he suffered in the season finale? Hmm. Now in England, King Alfred's position seems to be strengthening in the wake of the murder of his older half-brother by someone very near and dear to him, and the death of his mother, Princess Judith. The warrior Bishop Heckman, played by Jonathan Reese Myers, is also dead, unfortunately. However, on a positive note, Alfred has finally given land to the Vikings as a reward for their help and as a fulfillment of the promise that former King Eckbert made to Ragnar. That only took two seasons. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was still in the season finale. We find that the road ahead for everyone will be bumpy via a startling vision painted by the seer who was killed by Ivar episodes ago. Oh gosh. According to the seer, the bloodshed is not over, which is no surprise. In addition, in a completely tangential storyline, Floki the trickster is still living in his remote colony, but many of the people who followed him just can't cooperate enough to leave the violence behind. Also, Floki discovers something about his supposed chosen land that is the height of irony. But here's the thing. The Floki storyline this season has really dragged this show down. His storyline has been obvious and completely unnecessary. Now, maybe it'll all be worth it by the end of the next and final season, but I don't care. Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why is that this storyline has gotten in the way of the show's momentum. Every moment spent focusing on Floki and his followers is a moment away from what really matters and is interesting about the show. So I hope that they'll figure out a way to bring Floki back into the main storyline. If they don't, it'll leave a sour taste in everyone's mouths because everything else is so much more interesting, which makes watching the Floki storyline even more frustrating. It seems that he's tricked not only his fellow characters, but also us, the viewers. Regardless, hmm. everything else is still good enough to keep watching, but it could have been better. Well, good enough isn't good enough in my eyes. And as we segue into yet another show that Amazon is releasing, they gave us a sneak peek this um, as of taping. So you better either enjoy this review <laughs> and <laughs> wait till March or get our telepathy out there. This is Hannah. Yes, that you were like, Hannah? You mean the movie Hannah? It's roughly based on it, yes. Yeah. It's come to Amazon, yes. Mm. It's a new TV show, yes, and it begins in March. But, like I was alluding to, Amazon is gracious enough to give us a sneak peek 
of the new TV sh- series, one episode, uh, and it's available uh, as of taping Sunday and uh, 24 hours after that. So I don't know what to tell you. If you're listening to this afterward, <laughs> let's hear what the critic has to say. I did start this and I'll throw in my two cents, but the critic got a chance to complete it. And oh, I guess what, are, what can you offer our listeners who missed it? <laughs> Yeah. So this is a whole Super Bowl treat for us. Uh, We'll find out. Now, if you know the movie, then you know that Hannah is a special teenager who's trained by her father to survive all on her own and survive the elements, among other things. Now, this training includes being able to hunt and fight along with a whole bunch of other stuff. So just like in the movie, in the first episode of this series, we see Hannah played by Esme Creed Miles, being put through the ringer by her father, Eric, played by Joel Kinnaman. But why is it so important that he do so? Well, before we're introduced to Hannah as a teenager, we see the events that led to Hannah and Eric being on their own in the woods. In 2003 in Romania, infant Hannah was in some sort of secret facility with other infants. Why were these infants in the facility in the first place? We don't know. But we do know that Eric has come to free Hannah and escape with her and her mother, Joanna, played by Cold War's Joanna Kulig. Now, hot on their trail, though. (laughs) There you go. Now, hot on their trail, though, is Marissa, played by Marae Enos, who co-starred in The Killing with Joel Kinnaman. Yeah. We know her, too. Yeah, we know her. And Marissa is a special kind of CIA agent who will stop at nothing to recapture Hannah. So the question is, in the event that Eric can no longer protect Hannah, can he prepare her to be fully self-sufficient in the face of Marissa's pursuit? Also, exactly who is Eric? Exactly who is Marissa? And exactly who is Hannah? Plus, what's going to happen when Hannah decides that she's tired of living a secluded life? She's a teenager after all. And because of her actions, she'll soon come to understand what her father's been trying to teach her, that time is of the essence. Mm. My thoughts first are yours, Ref. Go ahead. (laughs) Now, okay, so here's the challenge for this series. It's based on a very good movie directed by the great Joe Wright. Ooh, great. Yeah, great Joe Wright in my opinion. And... What I remember, Ref, uh, most about the movie was the crispness of the scenes when Saoirse Ronan as Hannah and Eric Bana as Eric were on their own. So the question for me as I watched the show's pilot was, can it stand up to that? Now, to be fair, it's difficult to compare TV shows to the films that inspired them. For one, the movies came first, right? For two, the budgets aren't the same, among other things. But I will say that Hannah, the TV show, looks good enough and has good enough execution to warrant another look when the full season is available in March, as you said. So the sneak preview of the first episode, it served its purpose. I liked Esme Creed Miles' as Hannah. We all know that Joel Kinnaman and Marae Enos are committed actors. Plus, it's in the hands of David Farr, who co-wrote the movie. So if you like the movie, check this out. But keep in mind that this is a TV show. And it's not directed by Joe Wright. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We'll see. Because they will morph this storyline into something else. So we'll see what the difference is between the show and the movie in the coming episodes. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, though, and you like action thrillers with semi-superhero elements, let's say, you can go ahead and start the show. Start with that. It'll feel fresher that way. Yeah, you know what? I started this, like I said, Mm -hmm. this is my philosophy about it all. I know it's not fair to compare the two. It's like comparing a book to a movie or, you know, a song that a a singer sung in one decade versus new technology in another one. But story is story. Mm -hmm. And storytelling is storytelling. And this is the way I truly feel about TV across the board, not just this particular show if you're going to present something based on something that was smashingly popular or good then you have to rise up and meet that challenge in whatever medium that you're in 
much. So for example, if you are in the medium of movie and you decide to remake The Goonies, for example, everybody loves The Goonies, <laughs> and you decide to make The Goonies as another movie, mm, that's a tough challenge. If you decide to make The Goonies into a TV show, then you must meet that same standard that we all love and that got you to make the, the TV show in the first place in within that medium. So if it's not a great remake of another movie and you decide to do a TV show, then make it a great TV show. And for me and my time and what I have, I just don't have time for good enough. I don't. So my advice to you is, I will echo the, the critic in saying, if you are have not watched Hannah and you're curious about Hannah the TV show, I would highly suggest you to hold off on watching the movie because the movie will present problems as you watch the TV show. It just is inevitable. We are human beings. We don't readily separate the two. Story is story. So, but if you just want to go out there and adventure and watch it anyway, then proceed, but proceed with caution. So, that wraps up our TV uh, check-in past Sundance. Guess what? We're not finished. We're not done. There's more TV out there. It's not slowing down. But what you can do is you can slow down enough from your day, take a look at our list, see if you are interested in any of these TV shows, and then go ahead and watch a couple episodes. Check back in with us. Tell us your thoughts. You can reach us on IG, on Instagram, at Why Watch That. You can check us out on Facebook. We will even take your emails. <laughs> but all in all, please sit back, relax, and enjoy TV. A Why Watch That First Look. You know what? The awards season, we know we're in the thick of it. And that means that the ref and I are starting to watch more of the movies we missed from last year. And one of them, we're going to give you a first look at it. And it's called The Wife. Mm. Ooh, the ref got to see this. It's directed by Bjorn Runge. It is written by Jane Anderson. And if you're going, wait, this sounds familiar, I think. It stars Glenn Close. Yes, Glenn Close, who won the Golden Globe for this role, along with the SAG Award. She's nominated for Best Actress at the Academy Awards and at the BAFTAs. So we'll see what happens there. She is a major contender. She is joined in the cast by Jonathan Price, Christian Slater, Max Irons is there, and all other kinds of people, including Elizabeth McGovern. Mm. So this, everybody, you can rent. You might be able to find it at a theater near you. It's leaving theaters, but it might still be there on demand, all of that kind of stuff. But let's see whether it's worth it based on what the ref tells us. All right. So we have Joan and Joe Castleman. We are sort of thrown into their world because they're up at the high earlies of the morning pacing, not quite being able to sleep, but why? Why is the question? This couple who's well into their, you know, golden age, why are they up at night early this morning? Well, it's because they're about to announce a very big award, a very big honor. Yes, we're talking about the Nobel Prizes. And Joe is up for a Nobel Prize for uh, the best in literature. Literature. <laughs> so... The question is, does he get it or not? The trailer ruins it. Yes, he does get it. But how does Joan feel about that? Well, she's happy for her husband. How about their son, played by Max Irons' David? Is he happy about it? What about their daughter? Is she happy about it as well? Mm. Well, as we make our trip to accept this prestigious award, both Joan and Joe go back and forth between whether they really are there to enjoy it or whether there's some underlying dishearted uh, discomfort among the two of them about the specific series of books Joe is being honored for. 
Well, as you start to unearth it with flashbacks, you see that Joan met Joe, uh, who was one of her professors, her literature professors. She's a promising writer. She does great work. And Joe is great at editing that work. But, uh, you know, Joe has a family. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And Joan is a young little sprite little one. So I'm not going to ruin what happens there, but you can hear that in my inference. <laughs> they do end up together. <laughs> but under what, under what, what circumstance? How do they end up together? And what is the butt of their relationship? What does their relationship look like? Not only personally, but professionally. Whoa. Get back to modern times and Joan's, shell of a woman who this is the woman who takes her husband's coat who smiles and says the right things in parties she's the perfect hostess she's the perfect wife well this perfection is beginning to crack and it is all because mm, of some of what i alluded to some of those flashbacks mm. does this honor really belong to how much can Joan take when the world is celebrating her husband for something that <clears throat> she may or may not have had a hand in. Oh, 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 oh. So you find out at the end of the movie just where that takes them. And I'm gonna tell you, it's some unexpected waters. And we're gonna throw in Christian Slater's uh, character who he plays Nathaniel uh, Bone, and he wants to get the rights to Joe's story. He's a, he's a biographer, wants to write it, but he wants to write it with truth. <laughs> but are we really prepared for the kind of truth that Joan has been hiding all these years? So there's that. Mm. Now for the review. It is, as you said, no secret that Glenn Close has won not only the SAG, but she's also won the Golden Globe, very prestigious beginnings of the award season, gets the ball rolling. And guess what? I think she rightfully does. Glenn Close gets better and better as she begins to work more and more. And she returns to the Glenn Close that we have loved all this time, but it's sort of missed. I mean, she's done some TV shows and, and in and out, but this is really her movie between the scenes with her and Jonathan Price, it really does showcase all the subtleties that she's so good at, the subtle disappointments. It's not all right out, I'm throwing books, I'm disappointed. It's very subtle, powerful work that you're really gonna take on as the train starts to move faster and faster, the wheels start to move towards this ending. We see how we get there with this performance. Of course, Jonathan Price is a great dance partner for her. If you wanna see some great acting, Christian Slater kind of gives us a break from all that drama and gravitas with his performance. Um, and it, it, it just really does work performance-wise. Is it the best story? Well, mm, I will have to say this, and this is no shade. If Lifetime was able to hire these actors with this <laughs> that kind of budget, it would be one of Lifetime's greatest films ever. <laughs> and that's not I'm not that's not shade. I'm saying the audience who it's playing for. Mm -hmm. so there are some things written that are kind of like like the son for example, this uh, Max Irons. He's the son of a great um writer, two great writers really, but a great writer. And you know he doesn't quite measure up and he kind of wears that all throughout the entire movie and you're kind of like okay well that's a little you know we get it we, his hair is not together he doesn't dress well like okay we got it we got it it's so there are some holes in the storyline but guess what if you want to watch a movie with a great performance by a great actress and you don't mind the story being wiggly wobbly a little bit of this and that then I think you should check out The Wife. The Wife really does showcase Glenn Close and we've missed her and we welcome her back. So if that sounds appealing to you, if you do like that kind of, um, uh, that lifetimey sort of drama, you know, really gets your blood boiling and, and things start happening in a lifetime way. Because to be honest with you, Whenever I turn on Lifetime, as much as I sometimes don't want to admit it, it's hard to turn it off. 
So if that is your thing, I think you will really enjoy the wife. If it's not your thing, you might enjoy the performance alone. So I'll let you listeners make that decision. Wow, that gives us a lot of food for thought. Remember everybody, it is in a few remaining theaters right now, but you can certainly rent it if you want to see it before the Oscars at the end of this month. Uh, Otherwise, hey, you can wait until after the Oscars, wait for it on cable or some other streaming service, but just make sure that you check out the great Glenn Close, because she's probably going to win. We'll see. Maybe there'll be an upset. Who knows? Who knows? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.